This is essential. 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 This is essential audio. Hello and welcome to the Walk Podcast. My name is Lena Rowland, and today we're talking about brand assets. I'm joined by Catherine Driscoll, Walk's commissioning editor, Amia, and editor of a recent Walk Guide to Brand Assets in a Hybrid World. So, Catherine, why did you focus on brand assets for this guide? Hi, Lena. Thank you so much for having me today on the podcast. Well, brand assets are a familiar topic on Walk. We're fortunate to have excellent research and advice on building brand assets from Jenny Romaniak of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, and she's a real authority on the subject, as well as research by System One on fluent devices and many other studies. But at Walk, we've been getting questions from clients about distinctive brand assets, specifically in digital environments. So this guide focuses on brand assets in digital channels rather than all the basics. Great. And as a quick recap, what exactly do you mean by brand assets and why are they important? So in brief, um, brand assets are the visual, verbal and auditory cues that make brands more memorable and impactful. So think of Coca-Cola's iconic logo and bottle shape or Netflix's ta-dum sound. Distinctive brand assets can become a shortcut to the brand instantly triggering the brand name in people's memory. And so strong brand assets allow creative work to work harder. And it's really important at a time when efficiency and tight budgets are top of mind. And research we've got on what really backs this up. According to Kantar, brands with the strongest long-term assets are on average 52% more salient than competitors. And Ubiquities found that on average, campaigns that use strong, distinctive brand assets perform 62% better than campaigns that do not. And in another major study into brand assets, Ipsos looked at more than 2,000 pieces of video creative. They found that using brand assets is strongly linked to branded attention, and that on average, high-performing creative shows brand assets 34% more often in their ads. So we've got a clip from Jenny Romaniak of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, who's the leading expert on distinctive brand assets. Let's hear what she has to say. So what are distinctive assets? They are essentially anything that's not the brand name that you want to trigger the brand in the minds of category buyers or any particular audience. So what that means is they're typically, they can be anything sensory, but they are typically visual elements such as colours, faces or shapes, or audio elements such as um, non-vocal sounds, that could be pings or dings, vocal sounds, which can comprise accents or how things are said, or they can be music in different shapes and forms, whether it be popular music or specially constructed jingles. So brand assets are a vital tool for advertising to perform effectively, enabling people to quickly recognise a brand, something that's becoming increasingly important on cluttered digital screens and also in low intention environments like social platforms. Thanks, Catherine. That's a really useful introduction to the topic. And of course, we feature that that research within the report. Um, but today we're going to be looking at three insights from the guide in a bit more depth. Um, so what's the first area you'd like us to talk about? Thanks. So yeah, the first area I'd like to talk about is um, sharing some top tips for maximising your brand assets from the research that's covered in the guide. 
And the first one is that not all brand assets are equal in terms of effectiveness. Global research from the Ehrenberg Bass Institute into eight elements of brand identity found that brand mascots and characters scored most highly. So we're talking about characters like Colonel Sanders from KFC or Mr. Peanut from Planters. To score highly, these characters had to demonstrate personality and play an active role in ads, you know, and the findings that are also reflected by System 1 research into affluent devices. And then at the opposite end of the scale, the lowest performing brand element was colour. It's really difficult to own a particular colour, even with huge global brands. As strategist Nick Little highlights in his article in the guide, it would be difficult to identify Coca-Cola, HSBC, The Economist or Netflix if you just looked at the specific red colour alone especially as colours can appear slightly different on different screens or on different backgrounds. However, it's more effective to establish a unique palette of colours, such as the pink aqua and black of TikTok, or the range of colours in the Instagram logo. And another important point to think about when maximising brand assets is to use them consistently. Presence over time is key. Brand assets have to be learned by the consumer to be effective. And consistency means that consumers don't have to work so hard to recognise and decode brands. You know, they're connected to simple and memorable colours, shapes, logos or slogans with brand assets. And with this in mind, resist the urge to change them. David Taylor, CEO of The Brand Gym, found that companies often chop and change brand assets without hard data. His research shows that more than half the time when brand properties are changed, it's because of organisation change. In 20% of cases in the research, strategy was based on judgement, and only 24% of the time was it a strategic change using hard data. And Catherine, why is it important not to, not to change your, your brand assets? Let's hear from Jenny Romaniak once again. We call distinctive assets indirect branding because they do require the person, the target of your branding to make that link between the asset and the brand name. And if they don't make that link, if there is retrieval failure of the brand name, then it's not doing its job. So whenever you play around with a distinctive asset, you risk stretching that link between the asset and the brand name. And more importantly, you risk breaking it if you do it too far. So by all means, you know, do stretch the boundaries a bit, particularly and only with those assets that you have confirmed as strong, that have close to 100% fame and 100% uniqueness. Those assets that don't have that are not at that level. You should still be building them and they should be consistent in form. But once you have a very strong asset, then yes, you can play around with it. But I would always test to make sure that it's not stretching it so far that it loses the value of it, which as an easily recognisable branding device. I mean, it's a fundamental tenet of how they work, but this focus on consistency is particularly relevant with current financial pressures. You know, marketers should leverage the assets they have and use fresh consistency to reinvigorate campaigns. On Walk, there's some really interesting IPA Effectiveness Awards case studies, which prove the success of bringing back older brand assets, such as for Weetabix, Captain Birdseye, and most recently in the 2022 awards, the Australian dog food brand Smackos. This brand reversed a five-year sales decline by reinvigorating a 30-year-old campaign platform with revamped brand characters and using an iconic jingle. And as a result of this campaign, annual sales for Smackos increased by 21%, market share volume grew by 19%, and the use of promotions decreased. 
it was a phenomenal example of leveraging brand existing brand properties for a complete turnaround. So, all right, what's the next point and area that you want to cover? I know there's a, um, you specifically want to talk about the, the use of brand assets across digital channels. Yeah. And, you know, understanding how brand assets work across platforms and channels really is becoming more important. In digital environments, brands have to work really hard to be noticed because of small mobile screens or because of appearing alongside an array of category search results or other apps. And there's a greater focus on the nature of human attention in digital media. Research has shown that attention paid to ads on social platforms is in the first few seconds. So it's a really interesting area to optimise using brand assets in these fleeting moments. Now, thinking about this, taking brand assets and digital to the extreme, in the guide, we've got an excellent piece by Jenny Romaniak and Brooke Clement of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute that looks at service brands, you know, and how to create strong brand assets when you don't have a physical product. This is increasingly important, not just for industries like telecoms or insurance, which have always been in the service industry, but also new services that conduct business online, like health and fitness or education apps. Um, Romaniak and Clement share detailed advice. There's six different tips you know, which include capitalising on touch points where service brands have an advantage. So using emails or letters of branding opportunities, you know, really capitalising on these admin occasions when the buyers are giving the brand attention to strengthen the link between assets and the brand. And they also remind people that it's really important to keep advertising, including to current buyers to ensure the brand and its assets stay top of mind. So it's that consistency and clarity, you know, which create a thread across digital channels. You know, but also in the guide, we highlight how some direct-to-consumer brands are inadvertently producing similar branding, or blanding, uh, as some call it, with a generic look across different categories. Part of this issue might be simplifying logos for the small size needed on mobile apps and screens, but a simple neutral aesthetic, often using pastel colours and a similar tone of voice, you know, it's an interesting emerging problem across many online brands. And what about newer areas for brand assets? For example, NFTs, are, are these a good idea? Well, this is a really interesting and fast-moving area that was um, some fascinating research for the guide. NFTs have become a hot topic in marketing circles and you know, some iconic brands have brought in hundreds of millions of dollars in additional revenue. You know, high-profile examples include Nike acquiring Artifact to manufacture virtual trainers, Coca-Cola selling NFTs, or celebrities joining the Bored Ape Yacht Club. However, it may be that bigger brands may gain the highest financial payouts simply because they have the biggest audiences. In the guide, Adrian Little, co-founder of And Rising, points out in her article that often brands succeeding with NFTs are already famous and they're harvesting their legacy roots – or in other words, their strong brand assets. Morton Grubach of Virtue offers cautionary advice in the guide for those jumping on the bandwagon. In his article, he says, ask yourself in the real world, are your brand assets strong enough to frame and mount? You know, rather than just being a piece of memorabilia, you know, he says that successful NFTs have an element of utility. For example, you know, the person who buys the NFT may get free access to a number of re real world VIP events, like in Board Ape Yacht Club. You know, Virtue Research also found that the number one reason for acquiring a digital item wasn't speculation or the drive to collect, but rather the desire to express your identity online, which was followed by utility, access to scarce experiences, and the need for people to belong to something bigger than themselves. 
So it remains to be seen how broadly NFTs will take off for brands. At present, it's definitely something for bigger players and luxury brands, which have used them as a way to connect with the younger demographic. And the third area I'd like to ask you about is sonic branding. In the guide, you talk about sound as a superpower. Now, why are sound assets so important? Well, this is a clear sonic identity is another area that's increasing importance. Um, in some ways, it's really nothing new. Jingles were used in many of the earliest radio and TV ads. But the rise of sonic branding is driven by new social media formats, the rap rapid adoption of smart speakers, voice search on smartphones, also growing podcast audiences like for Walk, increase the relevance of a clear audio identity. Interestingly, though, it's very underused. And the large Ipsos research study showed that audio was used in less than 10% of cases in the data set, but it was three and a half times more likely to score highly for branded attention. And even more starkly, sonic brand cues like that Netflix ta-dum were eight and a half times more likely to be high performing for branded attention. Often, you know, marketers thinking about making an ad um, want to think about the impact with sound off. But part of the power of sonic branding is that it can capture and focus attention, even if consumers aren't looking at the screen and can be heard in the background. We also show that sonic branding is very engaging for younger audiences. Um, research in the UK by DLMDD and YouGlove found that one in three adults under the age of 35 feel more favourable to a brand with a sonic identity, and a significant portion were more inclined to buy from a brand with a sonic identity. And this research was backed up by a case study from Renault, which developed a new sonic identity and found it hugely improved perception of the brand by younger people. Great. So sound is obviously really useful for that all-important capturing of attention. And how do brands go about creating a sonic identity? Um, well, the first step in creating a sonic identity is really to have a clearly defined brand personality. And the brand already needs to have a strong appeal. You know, a great sonic identity will not save a weak brand. And it's also interesting to consider that with the increasing number of digital touch points, a single asset like a sonic logo may not be enough. Brands may need to adapt sonic assets to a variety of touch points and use cases along the customer journey. The most famous example of this is probably MasterCard, which developed a sonic brand architecture to work across its 210 markets. Or Shell, the energy company, which also developed a sonic identity with a huge number of variations. It was not only an award-winning strategy, but it also saved the company millions of dollars in music licensing fees by having their own sonic IP for ads. Brilliant. Thank you, Catherine, for sharing these insights from the guide. Walk subscribers can, of course, read the Walk Guide to Brand Assets in a Hybrid World and all the different guides on walk.com. If you haven't done so already, you may want to subscribe to the Walk podcast on your favourite podcast platform. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.